Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Mark chapter 2, we're into Mark chapter 2 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the pew in front of you there. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, um, or a Bible as pretty as the one that's in the pew in front of you, then that is a gift to you. You can have that and take it on one condition, and what is that? Read it, it. alright? So take that with you. you, you can have that. Turn to Mark chapter 2. We are working through a series uh, in Mark. Uh, I've been in, in since the beginning of, of this year and will continue through the year. Um, about a month ago in, in January, the first week of January, Kirsten and I celebrated our 13th anniversary of, of wedded bliss. Things have been uh, beautiful, have been passionate, have been simply blissful. Right? Is that a word? Uh, At least as passionate and beautiful and blissful as they can be with me involved. Now, the quick version of our story uh, is this. We were married seven days after the world was to implode because the internets were to shut down. Um, Some of you may remember that. It was the time of the devastating events surrounding the catastrophe we call Y2K. The first available Saturday for us in that year, the year 2000, in the year 2000, um, was January 1st. That was the first Saturday. Uh, That date would not do, though, because computers were to simultaneously eat each other, right? Or trains are lost at sea and planes are colliding into dinosaurs and, and time travel is accidentally possible. All of this was to happen. And so January 8th, on that warm Saturday in St. Louis, we were married. And we lived in St. Louis for a few years uh, when Kirsten was finishing up her graduate work. And then after a few years of living in St. Louis, we moved to Chicago, where I then finished up our uh, my, my graduate work. Um, and then after that, we moved to Wisconsin, and during that time, we generously took in Kirsten's parents, and they, they lived with us for, for nearly a year. Now, it, sure, I, I get it that um, they took over most of the house, and we had one room, right? Um, but we generously took them into their own house and let them live there. It depends on how you tell that story. We had our first son in 2004. Um, Ezra uh, was born to us in 2004, and then we had, um, from there, we, we, from Wisconsin, we moved to North Dakota, and we were there for about five years, and we had our second son, and then we had our third son, and then we had our fourth son, all in North Dakota. The nights and winters are long, and we were in North Dakota for about five years, um, and at this point... Some of you are just now getting that. <laughs> At this point um, in our family, we had been to the hospital a total of four times. Ezra, Asher, Obed, and Solomon. We, we had been to the hospital a total of four times. We were 
a, a healthy family. We, we were a, a family that just did not get sick. We, we just didn't. And, and, and so we didn't go to seek medical attention. Those four times were the only four times we were in the hospital. We, we were healthy. In 2009, however, we moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. And, I, and I'm not sure what happened when we moved to Fort Collins. I don't know if it was the, the gluten in the air or, or what it was. <laughs> Right? Because it's not consumed here, so it's in the air. I, I don't know if, if that's what it was, but our healthy track record came to a screeching halt when we moved to Fort Collins. I, I don't know if it was a trade-off. Right? I, I know that God doesn't, in my mind, I know that God doesn't work this way, but it sure felt like God was saying, sure, you can move to a wonderful city like Fort Collins, but you're going to have to suffer in other ways. And I know he doesn't work that way, but it sure seemed as if God was up to something in that mix. Since we've lived in Fort Collins, we've had one son with neurological issues, which, which for a while were ranging from diagnoses from probable death to possible brain tumor to epilepsy. We've had MRIs, we've had EEGs, we've had ERGs, we've had stitches, we've had staples, we've had broken teeth, and we've had extracted broken teeth, and we've had broken knuckles, and we've had broken elbows, and we've had knee surgery, and we've had kidney stone after kidney stone after kidney stone since we've lived in Fort Collins. We have never needed the kind of medical attention that we've needed since we've been here. Everything, we've, we've had everything. We, we've had everything except for trench foot, right? And, and that's because our family doesn't wear shoes long enough for our feet to get damp. We, we, we've seen more doctors in the last three years than I care to see in my lifetime. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a medical professional of some sort, I like you as a person. I, I just don't like your profession, right? Um, and, and so, and there's reason for that, right? That's another story. It's a funny one, I'll tell you sometime, but, but that's a, a different story. Kirsten and I have been married for over 13 years, and we've sought the attention of medical professionals more since we've lived in Fort Collins the entire, than the entire state of North Dakota has sought in their entire history as a state. And, and so here we are. We've sought the attention of doctors and nurses and, and surgeons and dentists and PAs and neurologists and urologists. Why? 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 Why have we done that? Because we've been at times in desperate need of help. But we, we've desperately needed the attention uh, of people who are in the medical profession. Now, before all these things went down, we rarely saw a doctor unless he or she was a friend. And, and I use that term lightly, right? We just didn't need him. Now, why... why why do we go to doctors? Why do we seek the help of medical professionals? Because we need help, right? We, we desperately need help. You wouldn't visit a doctor otherwise, ever, in your life. Never, right? You, you, you just wouldn't do that. Only sick people go to the doctor. Only hurt people go to the doctor. Only, only people in need of help in some medical way go to doctors. Now, I get it. People work the system and try to get in in other ways. But, but for the most part... People go to doctors because they're sick. That's what Jesus, in this passage that we're going to look at today, talks about. He says, those, those who are well have no need for a physician. But, but the sick do. 
Now, what's he getting at in this? What, what's he getting at? He's getting at something that everyone in this room is in need of. Right? You, you may disagree with me, but I'll just tell you now, you're, you're wrong. He's getting at something that, that we wrestle with on a daily basis. We may have this mentality that we're not in need of anything. In some ways, we have this idea that we can fix our own problems. We can figure out our own mess. We're, we're foolishly self-sufficient people who are not in need of anything or anyone uh, helping us. And Jesus agrees that, that if that person exists, he agrees, if that person exists that does not need any help at all, then, then, that they're never sick or they're never hurt or they're, they're never in, in need, that person does not need to see a doctor. Jesus agrees with that. If that person exists, then, then they don't need to see a doctor. And what's the implied instruction as he, as he works through that? The implied instruction there is don't get sick, right? Just don't. Just don't get sick, don't get hurt, don't get, don't get into problems. Don't do it, and you won't need any help. But Jesus is not talking about physical wellness, as we'll see. Jesus is not talking about physical ability. Jesus is not really talking about our, our ability to eat an apple a day to keep the doctor away. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, he's talking about something that no one is able to accomplish ever. He's talking about our need. He's talking about my need, our need to be perfect and holy and righteous. And we know that we can't. And so we need someone who will be perfect and holy and righteous for us. And that's Jesus, our Savior. Our sickness is our sin. And every one of us is in desperate need of someone to cure us, to cleanse us, to to clean us up, to save us from the effects of our sin. And, And that's ultimately death. And so what we see of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 in this section that we'll read through today is the leveling of the playing field. Jesus levels it out and he includes everyone into the same category of need. And what we learn from Jesus is that he's reaching the unreachable. Jesus is calling for the sinner. Jesus is going to the sinner. And when he does that, what we, what we find out is that some recognize their need and some don't. Let, let's jump in and you'll see what I mean as we go. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, and, and he went out, speaking of Jesus, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he, pa- as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Here, here's what we see from the very beginning is that Jesus calls out for the sinner. Jesus calls for the sinner. Again, we see Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He, he does that a lot in this book. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee and crowds begin coming to him. Why does that happen? Because he's known, Right? I mean, we're 57 verses into Mark, and what we've seen is multiple healings and multiple uh, cleansing from different diseases and multiple places where Jesus has cast out demons from from various people. We've seen that 57 verses in. We've got 16 chapters, and and that's happening. Jesus is is known. People know who Jesus is, and they're flocking to him wherever he, he goes. But we also know that whenever Jesus gathers a crowd, he takes that opportunity to teach them and to preach to them. Them, a message of what? Repentance and belief in the gospel. 
Over and over and over again, that's what we see Jesus preaching. You can look at Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That's how it all starts. And that's a simple message, isn't it? Repentance and belief in the gospel. If you're here this morning, you're trying to figure out what is this Christianity all about. If you're wondering what Jesus is asking of his followers because you're considering what that may look like, here is the message. It's repentance and belief. Repentance, turning from your sin, turning from your way of thought, turning from the way that you thought things should go down, and and turning to belief in Jesus. Belief that someone needs to stand in your place to be perfect and righteous and holy before God, and that's not you. If you're wondering what Christianity is about, it's, it's those two things, repentance and belief. And that goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's why he's teaching as he's, that's what he's teaching as he's walking down the beach with a crowd surrounding him. Now, anytime that someone's preaching repentance, we see this of Jesus and, and, and maybe anyone else. What is the given in that equation? If you're preaching repentance, what is the given? Uh, the people that you're speaking to are actually sinners, right? If you're talking about turning from sin, then the given is that these people are sinners. That, that person you're talking to is in sin. Well, guess what? That's all of us. That's all of these people who have gathered around Jesus, and that's why Jesus' message was consistently repent and believe the gospel, because that message is true for everyone of all time. And so Jesus teaches it, and it's the only teaching that that we find on earth that will be always useful to us, isn't it? Kids, um, your parents and your teachers have told you often that you'll use math forever. Well, I'll tell you right now, don't close up your math books, but I'll tell you now, you won't. You won't use that forever. There will be a day when you're 97 laying in a bed and you're not wondering how you're going to work out some equation, but you're going to be wondering, what do I believe in and how am I turning from the things that are not about Jesus? That that will happen. And, And so Jesus is preaching that message. That's why we as a church stand on that message and talk about it so often. We need to turn from the things that are all about us, that make us up that are sinful about us and and turn to belief in Jesus. And so Jesus meets this guy by the name of Levi on on the beach, possibly the same guy we know to be Matthew in some of the other gospel accounts. And so he meets this guy walking along the beach and he's sitting in a tax booth or or what we what we would probably recognize a toll booth. Right? So here's Levi sitting at a toll booth. And you see, you see, in Levi's day, there were land taxes, maybe like our personal property taxes. They were directly collected from the Romans who had power over these people. They were directly collected by the Romans. Other taxes, though, like taxes on transported goods or, or toll road taxes, were collected by outside local contractors. Anything that had to do with your land was collected by the Romans. Anything outside of that was collected by local contractors. Most of them in this area were probably Jews by heritage, but not Jews in practice. They were were not Jews who were following what was written in the law. They were Jews by heritage, not Jews by by practice. And so these contractors were, were collecting taxes from anyone who passed by, Gentile or Jew. It didn't matter. They were collecting taxes. This was part of their job requirement put on them by the Roman government. And so we hear, here we have Levi sitting there, right? Oh, you caught a fish. You're by the sea. How big's the fish? Let me write that down. You owe me, right? 
you owe me some money. And so that's what Levi's doing. Now the Torah, the, the law of God for the Jews, the people who were living in this area, specifically stated, here's where we get the tension, specifically stated that Jews were not to have business dealings with Gentiles. But a tax collector had to, right? Anybody who walked by, he had to collect taxes from. And and so Levi is sitting here collecting taxes from people who are on the outside. And automatically, he's putting himself in the category of someone who's on the outside. Someone who's who's looked down at. Someone who, who is vile. The people who were tax collectors were expelled from the synagogue. Tax collectors, toll booth operators like Levi were considered unclean. They were considered outcasts. They were considered dirty. In fact, if you touched a tax collector in this day, your entire house would be rendered unclean. Not a bad law, right? Not a bad law. Um, but, but your house would be rendered unclean. In fact, some groups of people during this day went so far as to say that it was permissible to lie to tax collectors. Lying was one of the Ten Commandments. But there are groups of people that would say it's permissible to lie to a tax collector because they were dirty and, and vile. And in your business affairs, you could lie with no punishment because of how dirty these people were. That's Levi. A a toll booth operator on or near the beach taxing those who walked by. And so Jesus walks by Levi, turns to him and says, what? Follow me. He says, follow me. In a sense, Jesus is consistent with his message, isn't he? He says, turn away from your life, redirect your thinking, your, your lifestyle, everything about you, turn from that and follow me. Now answer this for me. Are we any different than Levi? In the big picture of things, are we any different than Levi in, in, in terms of our ability to woo Jesus, to ask us to follow him? Have you thought about that? Are we any different than this person who's considered vile and dirty and an outcast, unclean, in our ability to woo Jesus' attraction and affection to to have him call us to, to follow him? We're not. And Jesus walks up to Levi and says, you, toll booth operator guy, you are the one that I'm talking to right now. I shouldn't even be talking to you, but, but I am. Come and follow me. Be, be on my team. Be on my team. Come to my side. And what does Levi do? Mark tells us in verse 14 that Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. Jesus is the one who is calling out to sinners. Levi didn't run out to Jesus, did he? He he may have to try to tax him. But he didn't run out to Jesus and ask to follow him. Jesus called out to Levi. Jesus levels the field, doesn't he? He, he levels the field when it comes to people. Everyone's the same, even the one who's an outcast. Everyone's the same in need of someone other than themselves in the way of life that they've chosen. Everyone is the same. Jesus says, turn and come and follow me. <clears throat> and Levi recognizes his need and he drops his job. He drops his lifestyle. He drops everything that makes him Levite and he follows Jesus. Now, I get it. Some of you have been doing just the opposite of that. Uh, years and years and years, maybe just recently, you, you've thought you've come up with a, a great idea that you can rearrange all of this, and, and you've been doing just the opposite 
than the ones that have been called by God as sinners to come to Jesus. You're resisting that. You've made up ways in your mind that seem to work well for you. And Jesus levels that. And he says to you and he says to me, give that up because it's going nowhere. Give that up. It's going nowhere. This is about me and not yourself. And so Jesus reaches out and he calls for the sinner. That's Levi in this story. That's you and me in our story. So what do we see next? What do we see next? Not only does Jesus call for the sinner, we read in verse 15, look there, that Jesus goes out to the sinner. Look at verse 15. It says this, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Right? In typical Mark fashion, we're switching quickly, right? We're, how did we get at a table? We're on the beach and now, poof, we're at, we're at a table. We find ourselves in a, in a, new, uh, a new setting quickly, immediately. That, that's, that's one of the reasons we're calling this the immediate gospel, this series the immediate gospel, is because over and over Mark limits the uh, attention of the timing details so that he can point to Jesus. And that's what happens here. We have Jesus in Levi's house for dinner. And Mark tells us that he reclined at Levi's table. That's important. Right? Jesus wasn't lazy. Uh, this is how they ate meals together in an important way that, that was a feast, that was some celebration. This was a big deal for Jesus to walk into this house and recline at a table. Right? This is not Totino's pizza in front of the TV. Right? Those are 99 cents. This is not a big uh, uh, thing like that. This is a big deal. The people of this day reclined, laid on one elbow at low tables during important meals that would take a long time that were pointing to some celebration around what they were there about. That's exactly why you never see anyone reclining by the oscillating hot dog machine at 7-Eleven, right? Because nothing ever is happening there that should be celebrated. Um, that's, a, that's a side thing. Jesus was reclining at this table for an important meal. We're told that Jesus is there with many tax collectors and sinners. You like that? I try to include everyone there. Tax collectors and sinners. This is Mark's way of telling us that people in this house were, were people that the good Jews of the day would not associate with. Mark's just grouping them all together and saying the good, day, the good Jews of this day would not associate um, with, with people like this. And Jesus is here having, having an intimate, special, celebratory meal laying down at a table, table full of people like Levi. Now, what do we see in this? What should we see in all of this? We should see that Jesus goes to the sinner. He calls out the sinner like Levi, and then he goes to the sinner. Jesus does not concern himself with the social norms of the day. Jesus does not concern himself with the keeping him keeping himself clean by not doing some things and, and doing certain things and, and not being around certain types of people. This was the, the this was outside of the way of thinking for so many good, clean people of this day. And it was extremely radical. Jesus goes to the center. The field again is leveled. If Jesus stayed away from everyone who, who was ever unclean, he would have stayed in heaven by the throne of his father, right? But that's not what we see here. That's not what we see of Jesus ever. Paul, Paul tells us in, in Philippians chapter 2, 
of Jesus. He says of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to earth as a human to be with humans. Jesus came to earth. He he emptied himself and and came to be with the sinner, you and and me. That's why Jesus came. Seeing this and and believing this should cause in us a, a few responses. When we see this and we understand what's happening here, it should cause in us a few responses. First, we should respond in gratitude, right? That Jesus came to be with people like me and and people like you. Jesus, God's son, God himself came to earth to to be near us, to be be like us, to be humbled to the point of obeying the constraints of this earth, namely death on a cross. Jesus took our sin. He came to earth to be with the sinner, to take the sinner's sin. (laughs) That should cause a, a response of praise in us. Second response I think that, 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 it, that should cause in us is, is, is simple. We, we should imitate Jesus' example in this. Jesus was not concerned about appearances. He was most concerned about winning followers to a lifestyle of repentance and belief in the gospel. That's what he was concerned about. How often do we try to keep up our appearances by being with the right kind of people, the acceptable people? How often do we try to make ourselves acceptable so that others would want to be with us? We, we see in Jesus' interactions with these outcasts an example for us to be with people who are those outcasts. Those are, those are two responses that, that come to my mind. What responses do we see from Jesus' action in this passage? When, when we think about um, Jesus calling out to sinners and then being with sinners, we, we see some who recognize their need and some who don't. Some recognize their need. Levi recognized his need for some, someone other than himself, and so he dropped what he was doing and he followed Jesus. He realized that this life was not about Levi. He, he realized that, that there was something, someone other than himself calling out for his attention and affection. Levi, and, and we would assume that the other tax collectors and sinners um, that were there recognized their need on that day as they reclined at this table with the Savior. People recognize their need when they're around Jesus. And, and, and the, the flip side of that, though, is that there are some who don't recognize their need for Jesus. There are some who don't. Look at verse 16. We see that. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, which, which that boggles my mind, by the way. How do they see that? Because they're not going into that house. They're, they're peeping in the windows. You get that? They're, they're peeping in the windows at this point. Creepers. Here we go. Verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples... Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The scribes of the Pharisees, or the, the scribes and the Pharisees were the important religious people of the day. If you were religious, if you were, were, were good and clean, then you were a, a, some, a, a scribe or a Pharisee. They knew the law. They knew all of the ins and outs of the right practices and the way to, to conduct themselves in order to look like they are clean. They were in the eyes of themselves 
and, and really of many others, righteous and holy. That's who these people were. And, and what does that usually cause in people? When that's the mindset, in my mind, in my heart, I'm righteous and holy, it causes blindness. Right? That's already the first step of, of blindness. And it causes blindness. Do you see that in them? They begin to question what's happening. They begin to ask, why does Jesus eat with these outsiders, these people who are sinners, these people who are nasty and they, they don't have their lives together? And do you see the implied question there? Why is Jesus eating with people, but not me? People who have their act together like me. Why is Jesus eating with those people and not me? I've got it together. And I think that that's where some of us are even this morning as we think through this. You truly believe that I've got my act together. I've figured this whole life thing out. And these people who are following Jesus and worshiping Jesus are, are kooks and have no idea what they're doing. Right? Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe there are others here this morning who truly believe I've got my act together and, and I'm following Jesus, but he deserves me following him because I've got my act together. Maybe that's where you are this morning. And, and I would say that both of those categories don't recognize their need. Look, look at verse 17. What does Jesus say in response to that kind of attitude? Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Is, just, is Jesus saying here that, that there, there are some who don't recognize their, their need because they don't actually have a need? Is that what he's saying? Is Jesus saying here that, that there are those who are righteous, right? I, I get it. Yeah, there's, there's people out there who are righteous and clean and holy, and I, didn't, I just didn't come for them. Is that what Jesus is getting at? No. He, he's saying, I've come to this earth to call sinners to follow me. I've come to call people to me who know they need me. Those who think that they are righteous and, and don't need my righteousness. I, I didn't come for them because they're not coming to me anyway. I, I came for those who knew they were sick. In the last months, Kirsten and I have started the, this track of getting more regimented in our health. But we, we've seen our great need, and we, we've tried to make some, some, some tweaks here and there so that we're not making um, a, a trip to the doctor's office a day, right? We want to get that down to like once a week. Um, and, and so we're, we're making some changes, and we've tried this and that, and, and we're trying to make wise, healthy habits about our eating and about our exercise and about our sleep. But, but guess what? Our physical bodies are breaking down, aren't they? Our, our physical bodies are, are failing, and we're always going to be in need of, of, of help of doctors, no matter how many no, no matter how many locally uh, organic, grown, gluten-free, raw milk, soaked, kale-wrapped cabbage balls we eat, <laughs> our bodies are failing and falling apart and, and moving closer and closer and closer to death. And, and the same is true with our spiritual lives outside of Jesus. We are sinful, whether we recognize that or not. We are in desperate need and there is nothing that we can do to clean up our acts so that Jesus would be wooed into choosing us to follow him. 
There's nothing that we can do to clean up our act, to woo Jesus into thinking that he should have us follow him. We're in desperate need of someone other than ourselves to win God's favor, aren't we? We're in desperate need of someone else to gain God's favor for us. And that's the beauty, the true beauty of true gospel-centered Christianity. That's it. That we are in desperate need of someone other than ourselves to become God's favor for us. And many of you follow a religion, maybe. Many of you follow this idea that, that, that says, I can do better. And in that, I'm going to win God's favor in some way. That, that's religion. And then there are many who, who maybe will say, because they believe in the gospel, Jesus has already done better for me. We, we can't and, and we're not expected to clean ourselves up to, to, to win God's favor in some way. Jesus has done that for us and, and we need to recognize that as, as true. And and so my question for us as we finish is this. Do you, wherever you sit in these categories that I've walked through this morning, do you understand that you are desperately in need? You're in need of someone to reconcile you to God the Father. Do, Do you understand that that is happening because of sin that, that we all have, your sin and my sin, we're separated from God. We're, we're at complete odds with God. Because of our sin, we cannot be near the God who made us to be near Him. We need someone who is not sinful to stand in our place. To bridge this gap between us and, and God. And that's Jesus, that's not you. That's not your lifestyle. That, that's not your, your way of thinking. That's not your clever way to get around things. That's not your, your abilities to do good things and, and clean things. That, that is Jesus. And so my question again is, do you understand how desperately in need of someone other than yourself, Jesus, you are? Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, speaking of Jesus, he says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where are you in that? <laughs> For our sake, that's, that's, that, that's where our job is done. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is nothing here that we did to be God's righteousness. Jesus, who never sinned, came to us, who often sinned, and stood in our place so that God would see us as righteous. Do you know this morning your need for Jesus? Do you recognize that? There's not one of us in this place that does not need Jesus. And so that's my prayer for us. All of us, myself included, that we would increasingly know and and, and we would see it as evident in our lives that we need Jesus and and we need to bend toward his preaching that we repent from our sin, turn from our sin, and, and believe the gospel that he is our righteousness. That's my prayer for us. Can I pray that for us? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, we come to you knowing that you're our God, knowing that you have provided a way of escape. We deserve death. 
There's not one person in this room that has cleaned up their act enough to, to receive any favor from you. It's not possible. And so we all deserve death, but you have provided a way of escape for us, and that is your son, Jesus. He calls people like Levi. Father, you, you have called people like these tax collectors and sinners and, and, and the people that we have in mind, whoever those people are in our minds that, that we think of as wretched, you call people like that to yourself. And it's not because of something they've done or not done, but it's because of everything that Jesus has done. Help us to believe that. And my prayer, God, for myself is that, that my response from that would be gratitude, that it would be praise that you have sent your son to do what I could never do. And that is woo your affections for me. Jesus did that. Help us to believe that. We pray. Amen.